we've been in a series this fall uh, entitled No Perfect People. And if you have ever, uh, you know, felt like there's a line somewhere, there's a bar, there's a, there's a standard that has to be reached, and you always felt like, I don't know if I reach it. I don't know if I'm like good enough or, you know, I, if, I'm, if I can reach high enough to reach kind of the standard, the bar, the level that I need to get to, to kind of, you know, be pleasing or to make it as, you know, uh, before God and so on. If you've ever felt that, this series is for you, okay? This series is for you. Uh, one of the areas that often we feel like there's got to be a level, there's got to be kind of a standard that we got to reach up to, and a lot of us feel like we don't reach it is the area of faith, right? Like, I just don't know if I have enough faith. Like, surely there's a, a like, bottom level amount of faith we got to get to, and I don't know if I have enough faith. Because if faith is a feeling, I'm not feeling it, right? If faith is this feeling of confidence, to be honest, I don't often feel all that confident. And so if we define faith as a feeling, it's like, I don't know if I meet the standard, right? Or if faith is risk-taking, right? If faith is risk-taking, I'm just not a risk-taker. That's just not me. I don't think I meet the standard of, of faith. If we define faith as, if faith is positive thinking, like the ability to eradicate all doubt, to just think and imagine this, this future, this preferred future, and live into it, I'm not always that positive, and to be honest, as your pastor, I'm not these things. I struggle with these things. I don't always feel that confident. And if faith is risk-taking, I'm not much of a risk-taker. I don't like to take big leaps of faith into the dark. I'm the kind of guy, I'll turn on the light and see what I'm stepping on, right? That's just how I'm wired. And, and if faith is positive thinking, like I, I call myself uh, a realist. Others call me a pessimist. But I just calculate, right? Like I calculate, oh, here's some bad things that could happen if, you know, we go on this route. So, so like for me, if faith is this, and maybe it's true for you, I don't know if I meet, meet the cut. And then on top of that, if faith is the absence of doubt, <laughs> I don't know if there's room for me in that faith. Because if there's not room in the faith to wrestle with and struggle with the doubts I have about God, about the way he works in the world, if there's not room in the faith, I don't make the cut and I'm your pastor. And maybe you feel this as well. You're just not sure if you meet the cut. Maybe you're like uh, Larry Osborne in his book, Spirituality for the Rest of Us. Uh, he says, you know, maybe you're, you're like me in the sense that you know, you're not the type of person who has great faith and you're like, I just, you know, I believe it's gonna rain today and you're like, pull out your umbrella and you walk to work because you just have so much positive thinking faith that it's gonna rain. You're just walking to, you know, to work with your umbrella. He's like, maybe you're like me. When you pray for rain, you look at the weather network and if it's calling for hot and dry, you postpone your prayers because you don't want, want to make God look bad, right? It's like, I'll just wait for that one because you just don't have that much positive thinking, imagining this future, you're, you're kind of a realist. Is there room in the faith, the faith, for you? And then on top of that, if you've been a follower of Jesus any length of time, there's like verses in the Bible that kind of make us feel like maybe we don't make the cut, right? There's that verse, Hebrews eleven six that says, and without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please God. 
But if faith is a feeling and faith is risk-taking and faith is positive thinking and the eradication of, of doubt, could I ever have faith that's pleasing to God? And then there's those verses, and you maybe, if you've been in church any length of that, you've heard them, and Christians say this all the time. Like, you just need to have more faith. Like, if you have more faith, you can move mountains. You're like, I don't know if I have mountain-moving kind of faith. You know, a number of years ago, I was playing basketball, and in the process of playing, I put on my back. I don't know what happened, but like I just dropped the floor. I could not stand or walk. And it was super embarrassing because there's like people around and I'm like, uh, embarrassing. It's like kind of like crawl my way over to a seat and I sit down and I'm, in my mind, I'm like, this is embarrassing. I'm just going to wait for everyone to leave. And then me and Mandy, that's my wife, we share a bedroom. So like we're, we're together. And so, you know, I'm like, we, her and I can just walk out together and literally for me to walk, I was like hanging on her arm, hunched over and if I didn't have her, I would fall to the ground because I just couldn't hold myself up. It was super embarrassing and so this was my plan but unfortunately, word kind of got out to the crew that we were with that, uh, you know, I'd hurt my back and a gentleman came up to me and said, hey, uh, do you want to be healed? I'm like, of course. I, like this, this, there's another option. Can I do the other option, right? Like this isn't a good one. And so I'm like, yes, I want to be healed. And then he asked me a question. Do you believe that God can, say, can heal you? And I'm, I'm a pastor. So I'm like, yes. And then I said this. I believe that God can, capital C-A-N. That was my kind of like doubt and faith kind of coexisting together. I believe God can heal me. But here's the thing. Although I knew God could heal me, I had this thing in me. I wasn't sure if God would. And there was this wrestle of doubt mixed in with my faith. And so he prayed over me a prayer of healing. It was beautiful. I think we're called to pray for healing. And after the prayer, he said, Elvin, you've been healed. Stand up. And in an act of faith, I stood up believing, I mean, I kind of wasn't sure, but I, I, I stepped out and I stood up. And as fast as I stood up, I crumbled to the ground and I said, I haven't been healed. <laughs> like, the pain just shot through my back. But here's the implication and impression it left me with, and maybe you've been left with this impression. The reason I wasn't healed was because I didn't have enough faith. I didn't have the mountain moving faith that pleases God. And maybe you felt this too. You prayed for a miracle after miracle after miracle. And God never brought the miracle. And you prayed for the healing and the healing and the healing. And God never brought the healing. And you prayed for your child. And God never brought them back. And you prayed you'd have a child. And God never gave you one. And you wonder, is it because of me? Have I not met the bar to a God-pleasing faith? Do I not have the mountain-moving faith that I should have? And you live with condemnation for yourself because you don't think you have what it takes. See, that question, after that, that sequence of events, and maybe it's left you with this as well, it left me with a question that said, do we need more faith? And if we need more faith, then the question is, how much is enough? And when do I know if I've gotten there? And it's interesting. Jesus, who made comments about, you know, 
not having doubt and having faith. Jesus, who made comments about have mountain-moving faith. I want to look at what he said because I think sometimes we read what he said, but we miss what he meant. And I don't think you were meant to live with the guilt and the condemnation, the self-condemnation that says, I just don't have enough. Here's what Jesus said. One of those passages was mountain-moving passages. If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 17. One, of the, one day, Jesus' disciples came to him with a question. Probably if you've been, you know, had faith for more than five minutes, you've asked this question or asked Jesus for this or asked God for this. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, increase our faith. The point was, we don't think we have enough. We need more. I bet you've probably wanted that, right? Like, I just need more faith. And maybe you define it as risk-taking or positive thinking or the removal of doubt or however you define it, but you just needed more faith. And here's Jesus' reply. It's interesting. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. (laughs) In essence, Jesus says, if you have faith, the mustard seed in that culture was like the smallest of the small. It's like, Imagine the smallest, smallest, smallest thing. The smallest thing imaginable. If you have faith as big as the smallest thing imaginable, you can say this mulberry tree, be uprooted. And this was like, this was mountain moving faith in their culture because the mulberry tree, the rabbis believed that the mulberry tree roots stayed in the ground for 600 years. This was a well-grounded tree. It was not easily uprooted. And so this is like mountain moving faith, right? If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, but here's what this does to many of us. It just loads the guilt on us, right? Because we're like, shoot, I don't even have the smallest amount of faith imaginable because I have never moved mountains. And we're loaded with guilt. But I think what we, when we read this, although we read what Jesus said, we misunderstand what Jesus meant why did the disciples say hey jesus we need more faith and why did jesus kind of not answer the question but talk about this kind of like small big things happen thing well we have to go back to the context of why jesus even gets to that and that means we have to read a little bit before we read this so go back to verse three this is why it all came about see jesus had been teaching his followers his disciples and said if your brother or your sister sins against you rebuke them and if they repent forgive them See, Jesus had been teaching about what relationships look like in the kingdom. And here's the thing about relationships. In the kingdom of God, relationships were meant to not be broken. And when there's brokenness, when the, when the kingdom of God comes, broken relationships become reconciled. This is the gospel, that God reconciled us to him, that we've been reconciled to him, and that we are reconciled to each other because sin brought about brokenness in relationship. That's one of the consequences of sin. So Jesus is saying, in essence, here is the formula, formula for reconciliation. Here's what it is. Repentance plus forgiveness equals reconciliation every time. Repentance plus Forgiveness equals reconciliation. And Jesus' point to his disciples was, as followers of me, as you step into the kingdom, you should never be the reason reconciliation doesn't happen. Because if one of these is removed, the relationship is not reconciled. If someone does not repent, it doesn't matter how much you forgive them, your relationship will not be brought back together. And if someone chooses to forgive, but the other person doesn't repent, the relationship will not be brought back together. 
Or if someone chooses to repent and the other person chooses not to forgive, the relationship is not brought back together. And what Jesus is saying is, as it relates to this formula, as my kids, as people in my kingdom, the, the, when, when relationships are not reconciled, it should never, ever be the fault of one of my followers. This is extreme teaching. Extreme teaching. In fact, here's how he says it. He says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must, not optional, not I'll think about it, you must forgive them. And when we hear this, we think, no way. Because there's been some people that have hurt you. And I guarantee you, when you hear this, things come up in you and you say, Jesus, no way. That is impossible. That is a mountain I cannot overcome. <laughs> Can't. And this is why the disciples, in this context, after hearing this teaching, said, Jesus, you need to increase our faith. That is a mountain I can't overcome. That is impossible. <laughs> and to this, Jesus doesn't say, say yes or no. Not immediately. He simply says, let me tell you something. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. It's kind of interesting. Jesus doesn't really answer the question. They ask for more faith. But he does answer the question. See, what Jesus is saying is this. Think of the smallest, minuscule amount of faith you can imagine. With that amount, mountains can be moved. Mulberry trees can be picked up and thrown out. What Jesus is saying is, you think you need more faith. What you don't know is you already have what you need. You don't need more faith. Do you have the smallest? He's not trying to pay, put a guilt trip on his followers, say, well, I guess I, I've never moved a mountain. I guess I just don't have enough faith. No, he's saying you already have it. It's already there. It's in, within your reach. It's not beyond any of us. The smallest amount imaginable is all you need. And mountains get moved. Because here's the thing about faith. It's not a feeling. If Faith is less about feeling and it's more about doing. What Jesus says is you don't need more faith. You already have the faith you need. What you need to do is forgive. And as you step into obedience, not a feeling, not just positive thinking, it's, it's bigger than that. When you step into obedience, guess what you're gonna find? That relationship that you thought was a mountain that could not be overcome. You're not gonna be in the way of reconciliation. The things that you didn't think could happen, might just happen. Not because of you, not because of your great faith, but because of God. Because the things God does, when we simply say, I have a lot of doubt, and I'm not sure this is gonna work out, but I'll try it. I'll do it. I'll forgive. You know, another passage where Jesus talks about this mountain moving faith, and we'll talk about it kind of quickly, is in Matthew chapter 17. We've got to go through this because there's so much misunderstanding about this idea of faith. And in Matthew 17, uh, 17, I'll give you the context. The disciples, Jesus had given ministry, his ministry of bringing the kingdom to his disciples. They, they were doing all kinds of things, like miraculous mountain moving kind of things. And so they're doing all this stuff, and Jesus was busy one day, and this guy had a son, a father had a son, and and he, 
he, he was demon-possessed, and so he's going to come to Jesus, but Jesus was busy. So he goes to Jesus' disciples and says, can you heal my son? They're like, yeah, we can heal your son. So they're praying over this, this son, and he's not healed. And so Jesus eventually comes, and they're like, we can't heal him, and, and Jesus heals him. And then afterwards, in private, because the disciples are just embarrassed, they go to Jesus, and they're like, why couldn't we heal him? I mean, we've been doing miracle after miracle after. We've been bringing the kingdom like you told us. We've been going out two by two. We've been doing what you told us by your power. Why didn't it work this time? And here's what Jesus says. Because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And to this, we're like, what? That is so confusing. Jesus just said, the reason you couldn't do it is because you have so little faith. By the way, you only need the smallest amount imaginable of faith to do big things. So what is it? Did we, did we not, do we have no faith? Because the smallest amount imaginable is at least some, but you just said we had little, which means we had some, but it's not enough. What are you saying, Jesus? Let me explain this to you. In English, little and small pretty much mean the same thing. But in Greek, which is what we translate scripture to, they don't mean the same thing. In Greek, what Jesus is saying is by, because of your little faith, meaning the quality of your faith. And here's what I think, the most probable answer to understanding this, and it shows up later in Luke, and I'll show you it in a bit, the most probable reason of what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus says it's because the quality of your faith, here's what had been happening. The disciples had been healing all kinds of people. And along the way, guess what they started thinking? We're really something, aren't we? I mean, we're doing some pretty miraculous mountain-moving things. We're pretty awesome. And their faith became contaminated because now they were not trusting in the God who does awesome, the God who moves mountains. They started trusting in their ability to have great faith. Turned out it was contaminated faith. And they could not. God would not do the miracle through their contaminated faith. And Jesus says, listen, you don't need a ton of faith. In fact, here's what he says. Whom you place your faith in and what you do about it is more important than the amount you possess. Jesus is saying you don't need more faith. You need to put your faith in the right person. That's me. Put your right faith in the right person. That's God. And when you do, it's God who does great things. It is not your faith that accomplishes great and miraculous things because then you're gonna start thinking, wow, I'm something awesome and this actually shows up as we continue the passage we read earlier in Luke 17 see what Jesus is saying is quality and obedience are more important greater than quantity and in Luke chapter 17 you can read it after Jesus says hey increase they say increase our faith and Jesus is like no 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 you don't need more faith Jesus tells this story and we're like, how does that, like, it's just kind of random things, but it all works together. Jesus tells the story, you can read it yourselves. But in essence, he says, listen, when, when the master has a servant, and the master tells the servant, I want you to do these things, and the servant, or in their case, the slave, does those things, the master doesn't respond, wow, you're incredible. <laughs> no, he simply did what he was supposed to do. That's Jesus' point. He simply did what he's supposed to do. He's not something amazing. He's just a servant who did his duty. And then Jesus says, in the same way, 
You also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. What Jesus is not saying is, we devalue ourselves. What Jesus is saying, when you put your faith in the right person and he does mountain moving kind of things because you simply walked in obedience to him, don't turn around and say, wow, I'm something awesome. It's not about you and your great faith. It's about the God who moves mountains. We, as his followers, have simply been obedient, have simply done our duty. See, quality and obedience, quality of faith, who we put our faith in and obedience are always greater than, always greater than the quantity, the feeling of quantity of our faith. Whom you place your faith in and what you do about it are more important than the amount you possess. Now, this is such a crazy idea. I'm gonna share two stories from history that help us understand this in real time, in real living kind of time. Now, one from the Old Testament, that's the first section of the Bible, and one from the New Testament, because, you know, we wanna make sure we cover all the Testaments. Okay, so we're gonna do that today. So, there's a story, you probably heard about three guys in the Old Testament called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's this great, heroic story of faith, and you've probably heard of it. If you haven't heard of it, I'll kind of catch you up on it. But in this story, what we find, in this story that we typically think it's this story of heroic faith, we actually find certainty and uncertainty mixed together. We actually find faith and doubt kind of all mashed together. The story goes this way. There's three, three Jewish boys that were exiled uh, to a faraway land. They're from Jerusalem, uh, Israel, and then Babylon came and exiled, and the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them into his capital city in Babylon, and they became kind of servants of the king. Well, one day, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the most powerful man in the world, because Babylon is the most powerful empire at this time in the world, he sets up a statue, maybe made in his image, and he commands everyone in the kingdom, especially those who are serving him, to bow down and worship this, this uh, statue, which was a problem for these Jewish boys, because their scripture said, there's only one God, he's not seen, he's unseen, you don't make an image of him, and you don't worship any other uh, uh, God. And so they, not once, not twice, Three times, three times said no to the man who had the power uh, to, to determine their destiny and their future. He held their life in his hands and they stood up with heroic faith and said, we will not worship your statue. And King Nebuchadnezzar gets really mad and he fires up this fiery furnace, super hot, and he's going to you know, kill them. But here's their response. It's so interesting. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And get this, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. If there was ever faith that was positive thinking, that was risk-taking, that uh, imagined a preferred future and says, I'm going to name it and claim it. I am living into that. These guys had that faith. Faith that we're like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. Until we read the next phrase. And everything gets torn out the window. But even if he does not. <laughs> now here's the thing about people with great faith. We, you, we do not consider anyone who uses the word but and not as people of great faith. We just don't. You put a but in there, you put a not in there, and we're like... <laughs> 
Come on, let me give you some examples. Someone says to you, yeah, you know, we're doing this thing. I'm just not sure it's going to work out. What's your response? Come on, have a little faith. It's going to work out. Right? Oh, you know, some things are going, but I'm just not sure. You're like, come on, come on, come on. Have a little faith. We don't think of people with, of great faith who use the word but and not, and these guys use but and not, but here's the deal. I think what they say next is the definition of great faith. And it puts it within reach of all of us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This, I think, is the definition of faith. And let me say it for you clearly. Great faith is trusting God enough to do the right thing even when we aren't sure it's going to work out in the short term. This is the definition of faith. It's not saying I eradicate all doubt. I'm just believing a preferred future that's going to happen immediately. It's saying, you know what? I'm not sure God's going to come through this time in this circumstance the way I want, but I am choosing to trust him enough to do the right thing anyways. I'm not sure if I stand up to my friends about what's right in my grade seven class, that it's gonna work out for me in the short term, but I choose to do the right thing regardless of if it works out in the short term. I don't know if in my job it's gonna work out if I stand up for what's, uh, what is integrity and what's right in the short term. In fact, I may lose my job, and I'm, not, I'm just not sure, God, if you're gonna come through, but I'm gonna do the right thing. This is the definition, in my mind, of great faith. Small, struggling as it may be. The kind of faith that God moves mountains with. See, whom you place your faith in and what you do about it are far more important than the amount you possess. The second story is a story in the New Testament. The early church, after Jesus had you know, been raised from the dead and then ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit came, the early church experienced waves of persecution. People didn't always like them. Sometimes it was the Romans. Always it was the Jews. But people just didn't like these early Christians. And uh, at one point in Acts chapter 12, we're led into some of the persecution they suffered. And Acts 12 starts with this just very sad story of James, the brother of John. You know, James and John and Peter, they had the little sailboat. Uh, that James and John, James was captured, arrested, tried by Herod, and then beheaded and this made all the Jews really happy. And Herod, who was Ro like leading the Romans uh, in that area at that time, he wanted to make the Jews happy. So he decided, I'm going to round up other uh, Christians and put them on trial and possibly, well, kill them. And he, he got a hold of Peter. And you might have heard of Peter. He was a disciple of Jesus. And, and he got a hold of Peter and put him in prison. In verse 5 of chapter 12, we're told that the church gathered around to pray. And I'm guessing there was two things they prayed. God, you got to give Peter some courage because like that other guy, James, he's dead. Give him some courage. The other thing they prayed is, God, we need one of those mountain moving things to happen right now. Would you save him? And they gathered to pray. I'm guessing Peter gathered to pray. Now, God did this crazy thing. He sent an angel in the middle of the night and woke up Peter, who's between two Roman soldiers, and the soldiers didn't wake up. And then the chains fell off and he led Peter out of the prison. Now we would imagine if Peter had mountain moving faith the way we often define mountain moving faith. If Peter had this pause of thinking, you know, I just know God's going to come through. I'm living into this preferred future. He's going to help me in the moment right now. We would expect Peter's response when the angel shows up. We'd expect it to be, well, there you are finally. 
I was expecting you. Gabriel, next time you got to be a little bit sooner, right? Come on, there's, there's, there's things going. Peter does not respond that way. In fact, here's how he responded. I think this is interesting. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea, zero idea, that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Here's why. Because he didn't think it was going to happen. It couldn't happen. Everyone knew when Rome decides to kill someone, they're dead. James was decided by Rome that he would die, he died. The, the realism, I don't know if Peter was a pessimist, but he was most definitely a realist. He did not think he was going to be freed. It goes on, then Peter came to himself. It's like, what? I'm actually, I'm, a, I'm real. I'm not like, this isn't a vision. He goes on and said, now I know without a doubt Without a doubt, the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were uh, hoping would happen to me. In essence, he says, now I know without a doubt, which means, guess what? He had been what? Doubting. (laughs) Now I know. It's like he's been praying, but doubting in his praying. Have you ever prayed doubting? Peter did. And, but here's the crazy thing. Peter makes his way down to uh, the house of a woman named Mary where the early church, well, we're told, where, they, where, where many people had gathered and were praying. Why do you think they were praying the night of Peter's trial? They were pulling an all-nighter. Why? God, give him courage, and would you do a miracle? Well, as they're praying, we would expect, again, if they had this kind of positive thinking kind of faith that we often define faith as, that when Peter shows up at the house, they'd be like, ha, we were expecting you. Just like we thought. Come on in, buddy. Not what happens. Here's what we find out. Peter knocked on the outside entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she didn't open the door. She just ran back without opening it and explained, Peter's at the door. She was so overwhelmed with joy. She's like, what? Like, God actually did some things we've been, uh, no, just, he just, just like ran away, right? And Peter's still like, okay, the Roman guys might come soon, you know, like God did one miracle, I don't know if he's doing another. He goes on, you are out of your mind, they said, so the whole church didn't believe. <laughs> They're meeting to pray for the guy that when, it, when God shows up and does it, they didn't even believe it. You're out of your mind, and they continue on. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel, it just couldn't be him. I mean, when Roman decide, Rome decides to kill someone, they're dead, right? Like, yeah, we've been praying, but he's not, God's not actually going to do it, is he? See the, 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 the mixture of certainty and uncertainty? The struggle of faith and doubt? But Peter, he's still outside, remember that? He's still knocking. Come on, guys. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Here's what astonished is. It's two words. It's when amazed meets disbelief. That's astonished. It's like, nah, that's not true. I can't believe that's true. Ah, that's just not true. I cannot believe that happened. That is not true. But it happened. That's astonished. They could not believe, but it was true. <laughs> and God showed up in the midst of their weak faith prayers. See, whom you put your faith in and what you do about it are so much more important than what you feel, how confident you are inside. Now, it's not bad to want more confidence, but so much more important what you do about it and where you place your faith than the amount you possess. 
See, if you're not a follower of Jesus, one of the things that might be keeping you from being a follower of Jesus is faith. Because you've got a lot of doubt. And you've reasoned to yourself, I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can step into, I don't know if I can put my faith and put my life and my will into the person of God. I don't know if I can put my life in the hands of Jesus because I have these doubts. And you've told yourself, once my doubts are removed, maybe then, but I wanna tell you this, if you wait till your doubts are all gone, you'll never come to Jesus. And here's the deal, Jesus doesn't need you to get rid of your doubt, to put your faith in him. You can come with your doubt. See, because it's not about how much faith, about how much you remove some of your questions and your doubts. It's have you put your faith in the right place in the person of Jesus as little as it may be. And have you acted on it? And the moment you put your faith in the person of Jesus and what he's done for you as little as it may be, and you act on it by declaring Jesus is Lord, you are saved. Because it's not about your great faith that saves you. It's about the mountain-moving power of God who removes your sin and the distance between you and God because of your sin and makes you his child. It's all him. Think of it this way. It's, imagine you're someone who hates heights, you don't like flying, and you think skydiving is stupid. It doesn't work. People die. One day you're flying on a plane and unfortunately the pilot comes on the intercom and says, I got some bad news and some good news. The bad news is we're gonna crash. The good news is we have parachutes for everyone. And you're like, ah, shoot, my lucky day. It does not matter how much research you've done. It does not matter how much belief you have that parachutes don't work, which is called doubt. How much you doubt parachutes working. The moment you put enough faith and as small as it may be, to strap that parachute on and you act on it and jump from the plane and pull that cord, you're saved. doesn't matter how much you doubt. The moment you act on the faith and put it in the right place, you're saved. And this is true of the gospel. Jesus invites us to become his children. And if what's keeping you is saying, I just don't know if I have enough faith, think of the smallest amount of faith. Minuscule. If you put it in the right person, and act on it, declaring Jesus is Lord, he will make you his child. Today is your day of salvation. And for those of you who have followed Jesus and often you wonder, do I have enough faith? I wanna remind you that faith, God-pleasing faith is not so much a feeling, but it's trusting God enough to do what he has asked. And I wanna challenge you in the three areas we looked at today. The first area is the area Jesus talked about. Some of you are in a position right now where you're saying, God, I need more faith because I can't forgive. I don't think I have what it takes. I don't, I, would you increase my faith? And Jesus, who is the exact representation of God, your heavenly father, which means your heavenly father is saying to you today, child, you don't need more. You have already what you need. Would you just step into forgiveness? Would you step into? Would you simply trust God enough? Yeah, but I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if this is gonna work, God, I don't know if it's gonna work out in the short term. God, I don't know if I can, I don't. Would you just step into obedience? 
And then leave the mountain moving up to him because outcomes were never our territory anyways. It's not our job to move mountains. It's not our faith's job to move mountains. It's always God's job. It's God's territory to move mountains. We're simply called to step in to trust God enough to do as he asks and leave outcomes to him. And what relationship right now is reconciliation being cut off because of you? Your lack of repentance, your lack of forgiveness. The second area, in what ways is God telling you? Maybe you're a young kid up to old age. It's time to step in and stand up. There's some things that aren't right in your business. There's some things that are not right in your, uh, among your employers. There's some things not right in your school, in your class, in your friend group. There's some things not right. And it's time to stand up for what's right, to have integrity. And you aren't sure it's going to work out in the short term. You're facing Nebuchadnezzar. And you're wondering, what if God doesn't come through for me in the short term? Would you have great faith mixed with all your doubt and simply step into obedience, stand up. And thirdly, for some of you, there's some things you've been praying about. <laughs> there's some things that you've been wishing God would do. He would heal you, heal your friend, heal your child, bring back your child, bring you a child. God would take care of some things that just seem like mountains in your path. And obedience for you Looks like what the early church did with all their doubts about whether God would come through and move the mountain. They simply were obedient to pray. And God is calling you, would you simply bring your request to me? Would you entrust them to me? Would you let go of the burden you're carrying? And then leave outcomes where outcomes need to be with your heavenly father. So as you consider your life, God-pleasing faith is so much more than a feeling. It's stepping into the things God is calling us to. And I want to encourage you, especially those of you that have lived with the condemnation, maybe the mountain hasn't moved because of me. Your heavenly father says, child, you already have what you need. Jesus didn't say, disciples, you need more. He said, you already have what you need. Would you step in? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. Father, I pray for those right now that are feeling like, God, I, I don't know if I can step in. I don't know if I can come to you in faith because I have so many questions. And they're still wrestling them. And Father, I pray that uh, for that individual right now listening, you would open up their heart to understand that it is not our great faith that saves us. It is our simply stepping in, placing our trust in what you have done, Jesus. And your great work, your great power is what makes us children of God. For those that have been wrestling with this, that today would be their day of salvation as they simply come before you and say, I don't have all the answers, but I'm laying down my life and trusting you, Jesus. As Father, for others of us that are really struggling right now with condemnation because there's some things we've been praying about and it hasn't come the way we think, the way we want it, and we wonder, is it because of my lack of faith? Father, would you encourage us today to understand you've already given 
You've, you've said to your children, you have what you need. Would you give us the wisdom to know what to do in our situation that we come across? And then, Father, would you give us the courage, even when we're mixed uncertainty, uncertainty, doubt, and faith, when it's all mixed up and we're not sure it's gonna work out in the short term, would you give us the courage to step in and do it? I ask this in your name, Jesus, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We trust you have been encouraged and challenged in your faith journey. If you're desiring prayer, want more information on our church, want to partner with us or be involved in any way, please go to our website at mountoliveefc.com. We'll see you next time.